Welcome, everybody. Today, I am joined with a Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, owner and founder of Sabre Jiu-Jitsu, Professor Bryant Pangolinen. Professor, how are you? Good, sir. Great to be here. Thank you for having me, Greg. Uh, hello, everybody, and uh, just happy to get on here and chat. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Um, first off, before we get started with your childhood, how did you come up uh, with Sabre, and what's the significance to you with Sabre? Um, well, the the name itself, it, you had a Brazilian instructor, uh, like I did, um, that who had promoted me uh, some years back to Brown and Black Belt. Uh, it's it's very it's very common to get a nickname, and that's kind of how it is back in Brazil, especially from what I've been told. And and why you see a lot of these Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fighters or even MMA fighters, they have those nicknames, and those nicknames actually become sort of like who they are, their persona. It could be based off of whatever story it is and, and however they are as a person or their their style of jiu-jitsu even. And, you know, you again, you'll see a lot of them. And those names, that's what's funny, is those names actually stick to them almost like they're permanent names. So you'll see these, these uh, Brazilian fighters with, you know, what appears to be their real name, but it's actually half of it's probably a nickname. So uh, my old instructor at the time, he uh, he gave me that, that nickname and moniker of... of uh, Dente de Sabre, which means saber-toothed tiger. And, you know, I never really thought into it. And, like, I was really competing a lot at the brown belt level. And, and, and at the time, he was just like, man, you, your style and the way you go and the way you kind of, like, hit your double legs and the way you pounce on people, it reminds, it reminds me of a tiger, you know, a little bit more bigger and ferocious rather than your average lion or whatever. So, you know, he, 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 he said that. He, I remember he said it quite often, and it just kind of stuck. And, you know, it's a bit different, you know, there's a lot of these other guys, they have the snakes and the tigers and the lions and the, you know, God knows what is a zoo across the board as far as jiu-jitsu Brazilian Academy names and whatnot. So mine, mine is, is unique in itself, I think. And I, I love the animal itself. I've actually studied it as far as I know the, uh, um, the, the history of the animal and all those cool things I you know, I, I geek out on stuff like that. So I, I, I like it. <laughs> That's your initial nickname. Um, so it's not it's not the Rock, right? Uh, a lot of a lot yeah, of people, well, you know, <laughs> a lot of people in the jujitsu realm know. Oh, the guy, the guy that looks like the Rock. Well, you know what? That's a whole other story from my prior <laughs> life, and that's okay. that's what's even funnier is that that one stuck for, with me for years and years, also um, from my bodybuilding days. And I, I've been a huge pro wrestling fan my, my whole life. And I remember when The Rock came out and I'm like, man, that, me and that guy looked pretty similar, you know? And that's what's funny is like, I, I one of my, uh, one of my cousins is friends with him and friends with their cousins. And like, they've hung out and it, he's like, he's told me straight up, he's like, Brian, you're like dead on, but just about a foot shorter. <laughs> yeah. So, foot, I mean, um, maybe a foot shorter, uh, but when The Rock first came out in WWE, I mean, he probably was big, but he wasn't as big as he is today. Oh, yeah. I mean, overall, I mean, in shape yeah. physically and then just the, the persona that he is, the, the, you know, the character that he is. He's just huge. And the, the funny story behind that whole thing with the name of The Rock being stuck to me is that when I was in my bodybuilding days, I was a huge fan. And during a, a bodybuilding show routine that I did, I used his, his intro music as kind of like you know my posing music at the time and it got even deeper because 
um, I was competing at the Nationals for bodybuilding in Orlando, Florida in 99. And uh, I was walking around the show and um, in the, in the uh, exhibit area, and, and I recognized this old-school bodybuilder named Dave Hawk that was just kind of hanging out. And I, I saw him, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he's like, you're perfect. I go, thanks, Dave. How are you? <laughs> you know, he's like, no, no, let me, let me, let me kind of reintroduce myself. I'm, you know, as you know, I'm Dave Hawk. I'm like, yeah, nice to meet you, whatever. And he's like, I'm, I'm the, uh, I'm the agent, the sports agent for Kurt Angle. I know who Kurt Angle was from my wrestling days. Uh, you know, he was Olympic champion, NCAA mm-hmm. champion. So I was like, always. And I, rem- I remember Kurt Angle had just bursted onto the scene, and I was like, oh, right on. That's cool. You know, I just didn't think anything of it. He's like, he's like, man, let me, um. Let me pitch you to the to the McMahons, and I think maybe we can come up with something for you. If, you know, if you're interested for pro wrestling, I was all sure. You know, why not? I was like twenty, twenty one, twenty two years old at the time. You know, not much to my name, so I'm like, why not? You know, it's just maybe a once in a lifetime chance. And uh, so, long story short, he's like, do me a favor, make me a workout video slash a promo video. You know, kind of like what the wrestlers do when they're in front of the camera. And we were at the old Gold's gym and buddy of mine and we did a whole skit and we put it on video and I sent it to them. I sent it to the, to the McMahons, the WWF. And, uh, turns out that they liked it. They thought it was hilarious. And they're just like, man, maybe we can promote this guy as a lock, the rock little brother or something. And, um, it's funny because, you know, it just, it, they, they really wanted to pursue it. But then when it came right down to it, they uh, they kind of turned it around and said, well, you know, it's 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 your call. If you want, really want this, you come get it. And you'll have to enroll yourself in wrestling school. And I think it was like maybe six to ten grand to enroll yourself in, in, a, in a wrestling pro wrestling school. That's not even a guarantee. And I was fresh out of college. I didn't got nothing to my name. So I was like, man, I can't afford that. So anyway, you know, in the long run, it turned out, and uh, turned out to be some other greater opportunities for me down the line. But, you know, I'll never forget that. That was my, that was my little stint or what could have been with the, with the pro wrestling world. Yeah. Could have been a glimpse. We could have saw you on WWE and now, now they're not even uh, wrestling <laughs> yeah. in front of crowds anymore. For right I know. Now. Right. <laughs> uh, that, that's so, awkward anyway. in itself. Uh, watching that now. Um, I don't know how they act in front of nobody. Yeah. It's just weird, but Hey, you know, show's got to go on. Right. Yeah, exactly. So now let's let's tie all this in and uh, let's start off with your childhood. Where where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Uh, I was born in Germany, um, West Germany. My dad was in the military at the time. He was just getting out and uh, he had two tours of Vietnam and uh, ended up getting a job with the federal government. So after being born in Germany, when I was old enough to fly, uh, we moved here to California and um, we lived in a couple different areas, uh, and that I think we lived in uh, Virginia for like less than a year, and then we moved back to California. Um, but all within that, my parents uh, drove us co- cross country, so I visited all within that um, forty nine states, and um, you know, just also you know, aside from my later life and traveling for jujitsu, I've, I've been to forty nine states total. But um, I've also lived in South Korea. Uh, I lived in Germany again later in life. And then by the time I got to the high school level, I, I, we moved back to California again. And I was just telling my parents, I was like, hey, I, I, I don't want to move around anymore. Can we just kind of stay in one place, you know, for a little while? And 
they agreed, you know, and they let me finish out high school out here. And, and I spent most of my years out here in California, but uh, I've been around the world and back as far as like during my childhood, uh, Europe, Asia, all over the place. Um, again, all over the United States, uh, South America, as far as uh, Mexico. Um, yeah. And that's all just within childhood. Man, uh, which one was your favorite as a child to live in? I know that's got to be rough, just bouncing all over the place and not having uh, locked down to just gain a lot of friends. You may you may have gained friends, not our usual childhood. Uh, Korea was fun. Living, I lived in Seoul. I live in downtown Seoul, and that was fun. That was, I mean, I was in the mid '80s, so that was you know a way different time. Um, then we moved to Germany and that was, that was fun. That was like an adventure all in itself, just because, uh, you know, doing a lot of traveling, bouncing around between countries just while we were living there. Um, but I have to say of all the countries I've ever visited, Japan still remains my favorite, favorite country. So what's one thing in Japan that, uh, that um, think, well, I'm, 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 uh, I'm an ace Japanese on my mom's side and, um, i kind of a geek on ancestry and whatnot and I ended up looking deep into our family's name which is Kosaka and it's translated to small slope and uh, it turns out my Japanese side uh, Japanese ancestors they were a samurai clan so you know that kind of I guess it, it spelled a lot out for me later in life as to who I am and what I do but at the same time, it's like, you know, the stuff like that means a lot. And I've seen, I have, my mom has pictures and stuff of like my great grandfather, you know, very, very proper Japanese guy. And, and it's just one of those things where I wanted to learn more about the culture. So when I got those chances to go to Japan and even up till now, um, it just really, really, I really took to it. The people are there are nice. The food there is amazing. The, the country is clean and, and it's so, you know, kind of like there's some areas where it's so exciting and in your face, but at the same time, it's very, very low key and, and everyone's very respectful. And that's what I love about the Japanese culture. And uh, I lived out definitely one of my biggest dreams as far as a competitor is that, uh, six years ago, I got to compete at the Asian Open in Japan and I won gold there. So that was huge for me. And, you know, that was, I guess, as far as like lifelong dream type stuff in, in, in my favorite country outside of the United States, I, I did that, you know? Yeah, everybody has their accomplishments uh, in their own right. And uh, that's a pretty cool accomplishment right there. Just to yeah. be on a podium, period. Uh, but in your favorite. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So you're eighth Japanese, right? Uh, and yeah. if, if people look at your logo of Sabre, it's Guam, right? Uh, where does Guam fall into this? Uh, is that on your father's side? Uh, well, my mom, my mom is also from Guam. Uh, it, it's, it's my grandfather uh, on, on, from her side that is, that is a half Japanese. Uh, my dad is, is, is full 100% Chamorro. He's from Guam as well. Um, and so my family ties are, are very, very much so in Guam. Um, about 90% of my family is on Guam. Um, I live out here with my mom, my nephew, my son, but, you know, I have a lot of cousins in and around here, but the majority of them are, are still on Guam. Um, as far as my, like my logo and, and the, uh, the Sabre logo itself, um, if you look at the Guam flag, uh, there's the Guam seal and it, it's kind of like a, a, almost like a football, the, the, the shape of it. And, uh, so when I was designing my logo, um, everybody uses a black belt as a kind of like a border or barrier on their logo. 
and either turns it into letters or you see the traditional triangles or the circles. So I was like, huh, why don't I take that Guam seal, uh, um, uh, the, what do you call it, picture of it and just put it over the head of the saber tooth tiger, you know, and it just kind of worked out. So uh, when I did it, I was like, man, I was like, wow, I'm glad we did that because that looks really good. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's very... No one else has that, and I'm very happy about that because, again, everything is, is very uh, cookie-cutter, I guess you could say, as far as a lot of these logos these days. Yeah, uh, it's very unique because, yes, like as you're saying, everybody tries to use the triangle, you know, tries to create like three three words that emulate a triangle or pyramid and things like that. So it's great that you have a very unique logo, and it stands out, too, on stickers as you drive around uh, the Bay Area, right? Um, so as a child moving around a lot, did you, what kind of struggles did you face at a young age, uh, or obstacles? Oh uh, man, it was hard because God, I think the last time I counted, I've probably been to like maybe 10 or 11 schools growing up and that's tough. You know, that's tough. Just bouncing around and, and moving different places and never really settling in and having to make new friends every single time. And, you know, it's not a horrible thing, but as a child, you know, you, you, you want those friends growing up. You want to be in that same neighborhood that everybody grows up on the block. And for me, it was very, very different, especially not only did I move around a lot, I move around a lot overseas. <laughs> so it's like twofold. Here I am, you know, uh, uh, an American kid living in an area and no one spoke English, you know, so it's like it, it was very different. Although, I, I, you know, I went to school on, on the American base and, and made friends there. But, you know, uh, in both cases, living in Korea and Germany, we lived off base. So I had, you know, Korean neighbors in a high rise uh, apartment complex neighborhood. And then I had German neighbors in a, in a very uh, cobblestone street uh, type old neighborhood. <laughs> so, you know, those are the things I'll never forget. You know, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, I, I loved my childhood. I loved what I experienced, what my dad, you know, was able to do for us. And so, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, priceless. Did you pick up on any um, languages? Yeah, when I was living in Korea and Germany, uh, I was still in elementary in both times. Um, it was required that we took language, and the languages were obviously of the native country. So I took Korean for a couple of years, and that was really hard. <laughs> I never really latched onto that one. But German, I actually picked up pretty, pretty good when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, I carried on. I, we left Germany when I was in seventh grade. And um, I took German all the way up till then. So um, it was definitely an easier language to pick up, uh, I think, grammatically and, and, you know, and just, you know, just comprehending it overall. Um, and I, it stuck with me for a long time. Uh, you know, it's anything like that is a perishable skill. But I remember for a long time still being able to read in German. And if I heard people speaking German, I understood what they were saying. But it's been a long time. Like, I, I have to really slow it down if I hear it now. Or if I can read it and pick out and kind of identify what someone is talking about in an article or a paragraph or whatever. But it's not as easy as I used to. Yeah. So you said you seventh grade, uh, you, you bounced around. But then you finally settled down in California, right? Um, yeah. Did you mainly settle down, like, for your high school career? Yeah, yeah, we got here. I, I, I uh, had eighth grade here and then um, went on to high school out here. This was definitely home for, for all those years. We, we My family, we moved into a brand new home. 
that my family still owns to this day since 1989. And, you know, it's just, this was our house. And like, this has just been kind of like home base for all these years, no matter where, because even after high school, my first years of college, I went to Hawaii uh, just to kind of get away. And I, I came back and finished out at St. Mary's. So it's kind of like, I've always been a Bay area kid for the most part and identified myself with the Bay area more so than anywhere else. Now, now you're big into wrestling, uh, what, uh, folk style wrestling. Is that what you did in high school? Yeah. Uh, okay. I first started learning, I first started learning wrestling at a young age, uh, back, back in elementary school. Uh, my brother's friends, there were wrestlers on, on his high school team and they would show me stuff and, and I would really like pick up on it. Cause again, I was just such a huge WWF fan and uh, it wasn't, though, until uh, high school, my freshman year, that I, that I started competing in it just because it was more organized. And, you know, I really took to it. And my parents saw that I was really, really, you know, serious about it and giving it my all. And so, um, yeah, I picked up on folk style and, and, and got pretty good at it. And then it wasn't until that summer after um, uh, freshman year that I really started to learn the other style, which is freestyle and Greco-Roman. So, you know, I was I – was, uh, um, for, for these days, I guess you could say I started late, but mm -hmm. back then I was exposed fairly quickly and, and had a lot of good training partners back in my time. Yeah, and you went to uh, a high school that's, you know, well-known in all their sports, right? Uh, and wrestling, mm -hmm. uh, they kind of battled back and forth with Liberty, right? Uh, I don't know in your time, but I know when I went to Liberty. Yeah, but yeah I went to De La Salle, and uh, my – Junior year, we were like, you know, the king of the heap uh, as far as across the board and winning, you know, section, team title, stuff like that. And then Liberty, you guys came into our league my senior year, and that changed everything. <laughs> and we had some battles. We had a lot of battles with uh, with Liberty and uh, really, really great guys on the team. And guys that I actually competed against from Liberty, I, I remained friends with, you know, well into adulthood. And it was it was just cool to see. As a matter of fact, a lot of guys that I, I, I wrestled with or trained with, even as far back as high school, some guys are still training. Some guys are still, they transferred over like, you know, like I did the jujitsu and other guys, they, they're still wrestling. But, you know, no matter what, it's like, I think if you got good at mat sports, wrestling, whatever it might be, you, you kind of stayed in it and, and it became, you know, who you are. What what are some things that you really appreciate through wrestling, and you know, um, why did you gravitate and hold on to wrestling? Um, I I think it's just the the rough rough nature of it. Um, my cousin, my cousins wrestled. Uh, my cousin uh, Anthony Camacho was on the um, the state state team in Antioch in the eighties. Um, my my brother wrestled in middle school, and like used to beat the crap out of me. And, uh, you know, just, I just really love the physicality and that's what really, really, uh, brought me to it. And it's funny because my, my dad, especially, he always wanted me to, you know, try baseball and, and, and especially baseball, he'd always take me out to play catch. And I was like, yeah, this is fun. This is not that fun, you know? Yeah. And I tried soccer as a kid. I even tried out for the football team once, uh, my freshman year in high school, but it was just not all those ball sports. It was just, the team sport, it just wasn't for me. And, you know, I, I just thought, thought of myself kind of as an individual to where it's like, if I'm going to screw up, I'm going to be all on me. But if I'm going to win, it's going to be all on me as well. So I just, I enjoyed the challenge that wrestling brought. 
Yeah, wrestling can also bring a challenge, especially in high school, the team aspect as well, because there can, I don't know what weight class you wrestled in, but you know, sometimes it could come down to the heavyweights, right? So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wrestled, <laughs> as was funny, I wrestled my freshman year, 125, sophomore year, I bumped up to 130s. Junior year, I was went to 135, and then senior year, I went back down to 130. So, I it's what's funny is like I've been the same height since like eighth grade, and my mom always blames it on weight cutting and then you know lack of nutrition during those years of training so hard. But you know, again, I wouldn't trade it for anything. But either way, uh, it's just it's a different type of grind. It's a different type of challenge. Um, even funnier is that when I was in high school and I. Uh, wrestling season came around. That's when I actually was on the honor roll because I was the most focused. I was the most structured. Um, even though I, I did wrestle like year round, like with the club teams and whatnot, but it was the high school season that I always look forward to. Did you Did you wrestle in college? I was gonna go wrestle in in uh, Oregon State, uh, mm-hmm. but then I, I had a I had a, a bad back injury my senior year, which took me out of eligibility for that. But I went on to attend. Uh, a college in Hawaii and I wrestled unattached and I wrestled for the club team that we, that they had there. And I was a, I was a assistant wrestling coach at Kamehameha high school. And I, we, I trained with the kids there and I, and, you know, they had a club team there at freestyle and Greco team. And I used to train with those guys and really, you know, stuck with it because, because it was just who I am, you know, and mm-hmm. I transferred back here to St. Mary's and St. Mary's, they don't have a team either. So I continue to train with the club team that's out here. And that's when I got hooked up again with De La Salle and I started to become a, uh, an assistant wrestling coach there again and helping out at the club that I came from, which is a CYC. And, um, you know, it's just I, I never stopped training with high-level guys and, and college-level guys and whatnot. And it, it, that really helped me and pushed me. Because, you know, I, 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 I consider myself one of the, the top guys around when I was in high school. And, you know, you have a high standard for yourself. So I never shied away from the hard training. Um, I I remember one summer when I was in Hawaii, actually, I wrestled, uh, I trained with uh, Matt Gaffari, who was a U.S. Olympic silver medalist. And this is a monster of a guy. And, uh, you know, I, I, I trained with the uh, Army National Team and, and a lot of the guys in the, uh, these other big, you know, um, teams that travel worldwide. And I was still a club guy, you know. And then it wasn't until 2003 that I, that was my last wrestling tournament, my last freestyle tournament. And uh, I did well. And I placed second there, and I lost against a college guy. And I was well beyond the college age already. But, you know, I hung with him, and I only lost by a point. So it wasn't too bad. And thankfully for me, that was the same year I started jujitsu. <laughs> so you started jujitsu in 2003? What got you into, you said you bodybuilded too. So were you doing jujitsu and bodybuilding at the same time? Well, I should, I should backtrack there because okay. I actually took my very first uh, lessons of jujitsu back in 95. I was still in Hawaii at the time. And, uh, you know, the UFC was just starting out and I was all into it, watching it with my friends and whatnot. And, and uh, I remember uh, Helson Gracie, had one of the first schools and teams in Hawaii and they uh, held practice at the university of Hawaii, a big gym. And it was, I just remember it was just like just a huge, huge uh, mat 
matted area and it was just people everywhere and it was hard to hear and it was just like I kind of got it looked at it like it was like sloppy wrestling in pajamas <laughs> so I just didn't really you know catch on and I actually started taking private lessons with one of his purple belts um for a little while and then I ended up moving but after that I, I kind of let it go just because I, I you know just it would seem like a fad and then I um, got heavily into into bodybuilding. Um, in my bodybuilding years, though, I didn't I didn't go on the mat at all. So from like the years ninety, I want to say ninety seven or so, up until like maybe two thousand one, I didn't touch a mat. So there was a bit of a time where you know I was just never on it. But then I did really really well in the bodybuilding scene. Almost turned professional there. But it was just, it just burned me out. You know, I'd competed so many times all over the place. And then I, I really got, you know, kind of like a calling back to the mat to train with my old club team. And I started training with them again. And it just, that's where everything went. Did you ever uh, get burnt out in the jujitsu realm, uh, even just in competition? I know you competed a lot in grappling. Did you ever, was there ever a time that you felt burnt out that you had to kind of take a step back, take a breather? No, I, I, I could definitely say that it wasn't because I felt burnt out, but it was injury that got me. And it was uh, in 2005, I'm sorry, 2015, um, it was back-to-back injuries that really, like, got to me. I was 2014 was probably one of my best years competing. I, I, uh, I won the Nogi Pan Am in New York, and then the weekend later, I, won, uh, I took silver at the World and, you know, that was, that was huge. And that was like at Blackwell. So that was, for me, that was like my, my biggest accomplishment. But then the following year, uh, I was in Rome for the, uh, the Rome Open and the European Championships. And I think it was like my second match or something like that. I, a guy shot in and, uh, on an inside single leg and, he, and my LCL popped on my right leg. And I literally felt it pop and it was bad, you know, I ended up taking this back and I won, but it was just kind of like, Oh crap, you know, (laughs) here we go. And I was hobbling off the mat and it was just terrible. You know, it was was extreme pain and my leg just stiffened up and it was just bad. And I was already signed up to do the Vegas open the following weekend. So I left Rome. I had a nice little trip there, but went right back to work uh, as far as, you know, training wise and being ready to compete against the dude in Vegas. And my uh, my opponent shot in on my other leg. So my left leg took a hit on the inside, and I popped that LCL. So I had two popped LCLs that I was walking around on, but I was still competing for the rest of 2015. I was just taping it up and, you know, doing whatever I could. But that was, like, one of those things, like, man, you know, you always hear of people getting injured or getting taken out completely, but it didn't stop me. It didn't, it, it, it almost discouraged me a little bit, but it actually pushed me even harder to want to keep going and find ways to work around it. Um, just because I felt like, you know, this is not like ping pong. Like, you know, you, this is a rough sport and, and you know, you're either going to sink or swim and I had to keep swimming. I like to believe that uh, just getting to know you, you're, you're pretty old school and a, a rough and tumble guy that it's like a rub dirt on it and let's keep going type guy. So yeah, <laughs> So mentally, you know, from like a one-year span, like you're at you're at one of your highest, and then all of a sudden you get injured. What I know you're mentally strong too, but did that affect you in any way uh, mentally? It did. It did. It was huge because at the time I was the number one guy in the world at my my division, and you know I still look back at that time and I was like, fuck, oh, you know, I gotta 
I got to do something about this. I can't quit. I can't fall back and I can't let these guys beat me or, you know, think that I'm done. Nor did I even want to let them know that I was hurt. So at that time, I didn't say nothing. You know, I was just like, just kind of like working around it and hobbling around and taking time off when I could. And just, I just kept signing up for tournaments, taking fights and whatnot. And I, I just didn't care. Um, even funnier is like, you know, I, I, I worked through so many injuries in my time as far as like from wrestling to even bodybuilding. I had a bunch of bodybuilding and even, you know, through jiu-jitsu, like, I don't know. I think it's just like you, just like you'd mentioned earlier, just rub some dirt on it and you keep going. You find ways to make it, make it okay and bearable. You should be all right. You know, I don't, I don't condone that and, 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 you know, think that should be for everybody, but it worked for me and it still does. You know, I've, uh, I remember was it my first year at Black Belt, um, I ruptured a tendon in my hand and uh, and broke my knuckle on that same hand. And I actually have a picture I can send to you sometime. Um, and I took a super fight with one of the uh, old school top Black Belts and I fought through it. And, you know, it was just like, tape it up, let's do it. <laughs> like, I didn't care. And, you know, I've, I've got herniated discs. I got, you know, these... these uh, calcium deposits in my hands and my, in my hands and knuckles from just from years of gripping. And like, you know, my, 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 my hands are mangled. My ears are mangled. I got all these little things, but you know what? Again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for anything. What, uh, did, from your bodybuilding days, did you transfer that type of like, uh, <laughs> conditioning over to jujitsu? Do you alter it a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the one thing I can, I can, uh, I can, uh, definitely credit bodybuilding to was, teaching me a whole other level of discipline as far as preparation and, you know, to manipulate your body, to make it look a certain way, um, be it, you know, level of conditioning and being ripped and, and having huge muscles. Like it takes so much work. It takes so much work. And like, you know, I learned that a lot of it starts at the dinner table, you know, and, and just my nutrition became so sound and that all came from bodybuilding and, you know, you trial and error and things because, Everything I took from bodybuilding as far as nutrition, it, it probably halfway applied to my jiu-jitsu lifestyle because I wasn't looking to look a certain way anymore. I was looking to perform. So performance-wise, I, I had to change some stuff up as far as like calories and, and supplements and, and making sure I did certain things to help my body recover and whatnot. Um, Lifting-wise, I still will do old-school meathead workouts just because – in my mind, uh, although jujitsu requires you to be explosive on your feet and even certain positions and whatnot, it's it's kind of like a, a, a intricate type of, of art where you know piece by piece all your appendages are doing different things and working a different way and whatnot. And so, doing isolated uh, um, uh, movements such as like you know whether it be curls or presses or whatever it might be, bodybuilding teaches you those types of isolated movements. And and I really you know have held on to that because those are the movements that have gotten me not only to get my best conditioning, but also through injury. And if I didn't know those lifts and, and those types of exercises and routines from bodybuilding, I definitely, definitely can say my jiu-jitsu career would have been way different. Yeah, I know. I struggle with like, um, cause I power lifted my jiu-jitsu journey so far. I, I've switched my lifting up tremendously from just like a lot of unconventional stuff with steel mace and stuff because powerlifting i've got i've gotten pretty tight hips that sucks when you're trying to uh work on your guard game yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Um, so when did you start Saber? Were you, uh, were you a black belt at the time? Uh, I had some ideas about wanting to own my own academy when I was about a, a purple brown belt or so. And, you know, it just became a matter of being authenticated as far as the belt. You know, I wasn't chasing belts, but in my opinion, having that black belt definitely was a, was a lifelong goal. I remember being a white belt and going, I'm going to be a black belt one day. I told that to myself and I told that to my family and a few friends, I'm going to be a black belt one day. And that was, I, I stuck to it. Um, took me, uh, but nine, yeah, nine years to get, but it was worth every, every, you know, ounce of sweat. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't until later, you know, my upper belt that I really thought you know, I want to, maybe I should do this because I, I was getting out of law enforcement and I was, you know, in need of something new, a new career. So I started to chase that dream. And literally went from, you know, uh, working crazy shifts and doing all kinds of crazy stuff as a cop to, you know, grinding and, and, and trying to build towards starting my own team. So uh, I got my black belt in 2012 and I opened the uh, Saber Jiu-Jitsu Academy, the first, very first one in 2014. What made you want to be a teacher, coach, professor to others. Not everybody, when they hit black belt, not everybody wants to do that. What made you want to do that? Uh, I was already teaching. Uh, when I got out of law enforcement, I was already teaching jiu-jitsu classes. And, you know, uh, I was teaching at Cottonwood, maybe like four or five different places just to make ends meet. And, you know, but there's, there's a bit of a learning curve that every instructor needs to go through as far as, like, learning how to not only get that rapport with people, but just learning how to teach these things and understand people on a different level. And that became a whole new challenge for me as far as like, am I doing the best job that I can? What type of product can I provide? You know? And I think, and, and I think if you've been around jujitsu long enough and you know, you, especially a lot of the old school guys that are still in this area, you, you you grow with the art, but you see what you like and what you don't like. And, you know, one of the biggest goals for me was to definitely produce a product with those ingredients as far as, like, this is what I don't like, this is what I do like, so this is what I'm going to produce. And so I remember telling myself after I got my black belt, like, all right, this is how I want to teach. And I literally started to, like, come up with a curriculum in my head as far as what I wanted to do, and I started to apply that with my students. And then that came to fruition when I opened my academy. It was like, all right, now here we are, day one. I never forget, day one, this is what we're doing, close guard, here we go. And, you know, it was kind of like a bit by bit. And, you know, you learn as you go. And, and it, it became difficult because all within one year, I was a new business owner, uh, a, a competitor, and also a teacher. So I was wearing different hats, and I still do it. You know, I, I'm not as active on competing these days, but Jesus, the business side of me has definitely grown. Um, but I think still to this day, my 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 passion for teaching has grown even more. Yeah, you definitely see it when you when you see the size of your academy. Uh, what did you start out at? Uh, how many how many people started? When we with first you? opened up 2014. When we first opened up, we had like maybe 30 students. And that was in like a little eight or 900 square foot spot, uh, co, um, uh, what do you call it? We were, we were, I was renting out of a, um, a CrossFit gym. And by the end of that first year, we had a hundred, hundred students and we outgrew that spot and came on into another spot 
also I was uh, I was renting out of another uh, another um, CrossFit gym with a larger space. So by the end of the second year, we had 200 students, and then we outgrew that, and then our current place fell in my lap and it was just the right place at the right time and here we are we're going on year six now uh matter of fact we just we just had our anniversary like in may i think it was six years um and we're well over 300 students now and we have six affiliates uh most of your affiliates are in the bay area right you also have one in guam as well right yes sir uh we have uh, out here in the bay we have uh, East Bay Academy, um, which is Martinez, uh, Train for Life, which is in Sassoon, um, New Creation, which is in Benicia, uh, Dumlao, a Martial Arts Academy, which is in Pinol, and then Big Break uh, Jiu-Jitsu, which is in Oakley, and then in Guam, we have MAM, uh, which is inside a, a nice little facility in like the nice touristy area of uh, downtown Tumon in Guam. Now, what have you seen from the start of your journey on this, um, you know, the struggles? What, what kind of struggles did you face in um, your progress into now, like hammering out your details? Uh, can you explain a little bit about that? Um, well, I think it, the balance and then juggling act has increased for me as far as the hats I wear and, and the, the duties I put upon myself to make sure things are, are, are taken care of and get done. As far as teaching and, and curriculum-wise, I, I definitely love exploring and I love uh, uh, breaking movements down. And as you know, like I, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty like uh, to the T as far as like this is how I teach. And in my mind, jujitsu it has so many areas of study. And like this week, for example, we're doing De La Hiva guard. And and there's so many aspects within the guard itself, but we're following a certain uh, a sequence that we've been doing this week and it's building. So um, I think when you have, a, a, and this is just my opinion, and this is how maybe my brain works. When you have a certain uh, area of study and you present it to your students, um, they can grasp onto it easier if it's easier to follow. And if it's not all over the place and, and, Maybe that's just what worked for me coming up, and 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 that's what sunk into my head as far as all right, you're going to teach me a footlock. We're going to work on this footlock all week long and nothing else. And so that's just how I break jujitsu down, and that's been my philosophy uh, since I got my black belt. Like I mentioned, uh, I wanted to teach it a certain way. I wanted to put attention to detail on certain things, and also get to know my students on the mat. Like with your, you know, you attended my class, and sometimes it'll be kind of like a Q and A. And it'll be like, all right, show me the daily he's a guard and tell me why we're doing this grip. Tell me why we're, we're using our foot here or, you know, because I like to see where my students are at as far as their mindset and what their thinking is like. And, you know, it's interesting when you, when you teach this way, and this is what I found, and not only within my class, within my team, but I've taught seminars all over the world, and it's the same. I do it the same thing. Uh, you see, you ask a certain question, and you ask the white belt, then you ask the blue belt, then you ask the purple, and so forth, and you get different answers. And, you know, and that's because that's their level of comprehension and how they verbalize it through, through you know, through comprehending whatever was, or what was taught or asked or showed or whatever. But, you know, I just think that, you know, uh, it's 
it's become the biggest part of me. It's like, all right, what am I going to teach? and How am I going to teach it? And where can we spin this off and, and find, a, uh, you know, the end of the rainbow here? Because that's, to me, where the, the biggest challenge can be. And I, I love uh, technique classes. I love, you know, when, when my students can show me something or I feel something. Or we always joke about it. And maybe you remember, like, you know, we're in training. Like, we'll go move with the day, you know. Like, yeah. if, if somebody hits it in, somebody hits it in training, that's huge. I think that's great. And, and, you know, we'll call it out because in my mind, like, you just learned it and you made it work. Um, well, so, you know, to me, that's a victory. Yeah, not only that, uh, the person that you did it on, they just learned that too. So if they hit it right then and there, then obviously the technique was there. Right, exactly. And, you know, I, it, it's not always perfect. Trust me, there's they're, they're students that challenge me. And then I, I like to take that challenge uh, head on as far as, uh, you know, not everybody's the same. That's the beauty of jiu-jitsu. Everybody's on a different learning curve. And so the student that's been with me for a little while that just gets it, the sponge-type student, we have those guys on the team. And then we have those guys on the team that, you know, it takes like a little extra grooming, maybe a little extra hand-holding, and that's fine too. For me as a teacher, if I can take that student and, and help develop them, not just with jiu-jitsu, but then also see their own potential, then I'm, that's a win for me as well. So, you know, it, it's much more than just these techniques that we're doing. You, when you see people that you've been around and spend so much time with, you see them grow mentally, physically, whatever it might be, it's, it's such a huge, huge uh, um, uh, honor for me to, to be part of that. Yeah, so when you see these people grow, obviously it means a lot to you, but what does it mean to you when, you, when you're able to, like, you don't do the, the belt ceremonies with adults. So just like being able to pull it out and just presenting that to somebody, what's that mean to you? Uh, well, I, I've, I've never wanted to do the traditional, oh, we we're going to do a promotion every six months or every month, or I don't even give out stripes for that mm-hmm. matter. I, I think, you know, tape is for fingers. So to me, uh, promotions, they come on the spot. And they happen when I see and recognize on so many other levels as far as the student's comprehension of what's being taught. And, but it's beyond that, too. Like, when I see a student really develop and, like, all right, I know he or she can take this movement, do it right in front of me in slow motion, but then do it right in front of me in live training. But at the same time, take that same technique and say, here, come here, new, new guy, white belt. Let me show you how I do this, and I can help you. You know, that to me is, that's growth. And I've seen that happen on the mat so many times with the team to where you see that person that's come in and they're just like greener than green, shy, and doesn't want to say anything. Next thing you know, a year later, they're like a blabbermouth and they're showing everybody like, hey, they're going to help you. You know, and it's like, that's growth. That's, that's real, real growth through martial arts. Now, one step further, what, and this is every professor's, you know, dream is to have black belts under them and, you know, ones that look up to like you, uh, what does it mean to pull that black belt out and present it to your students? Oh man, that's, that's, that, that's like one of the biggest, biggest honors in my life, to be honest. And you see someone especially because we have a few on the team that I've had since white belt and then all the way up to black belt. You know, we have a couple of first degree black belts on the team, but even still, like when, when I promoted black belt, man, that brings me to tears because it, it, I know what it means and I know what it feels like to get that. 
and all it took and you really really like when you get that thing wrapped around your waist like it's just like your life flashes before your eyes that first day of getting on the mat to all the hard days and training getting your butt kicked and but having you know even the the great moments where you oh today i did this or today i sub so-and-so and then so and then even like you know i i you don't have to compete to be on my team but man we've have we have we've I've coached guys to world titles and Pan Am titles and all these big, big things. And you remember them back when they were like so terrible in, in the, in the training room and they didn't know how to even tie their belt correctly. Next thing you know, they're like world champs. And, you know, again, you, I've seen it on so many levels and, and I think it's just wonderful, but the black belt is definitely like, that is like lifelong dream type stuff. And as you know, it's like jujitsu itself is not like in these other martial arts, not downing any of them, but the, the, the ability to accomplish and get to that belt is, is huge in itself. And for many, it takes, you know, a long, long time. It's taken another shorter amount of time. But either way, we're all in our same timeline. We're all in a different timeline, I should say. And, uh, you know, but the black belt is definitely everything. Now, Let's take this one step further. All, all your black belts that you, you've handed that black belt to is special. But what was it like for you to promote your nephew to black belt? I don't know the whole history. Uh, he came over <laughs> to help, you, help train or you wanted to train him. Uh, how did that come about? Uh, well, it's funny, man, because we always joke about it. You know, I got him started in jiu-jitsu when he was like maybe 10, uh, nine or 10 years old, he came over from Guam one summer. He's my brother's uh, uh, youngest boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came over from Guam one summer and I was getting ready for, for a competition here in town. And uh, he came with me and, I, and he was actually taking class uh, just, you know, a couple times a week with me just to have fun. You know, it was like a summer activity. And then he went with me to the tournament and I was like, do you want to compete? He's like, yeah. I was like, all right. So I threw Jake out there. And he got his butt kicked his first match and got choked. And he came off the mat just in tears, crying. And I was like, are you okay? He's like, yeah. I'm like, do you want to do it again? He goes, yeah. <laughs> so he, uh, I just threw him back out there for a second match. And he got he got slaughtered. But, he, again, he was crying. But it, it was happy tears. But, you know, to see that not only did he take that those moments in jiu-jitsu and, and want to keep going because he kept training when he went back to Guam, and then, so when he left Guam in 2014, after graduating high school, he was already a blue belt. He got his blue belt from his other professor. And um, so he came to us, and right when we opened our academy, and, you know, I wanted to help groom him and, and you know, help with the pro kids program, and he started right away, and, you know, he was training constantly, constantly, constantly. And you see his growth, you know, like all those, the, the other stuff I was talking about, is like growth as a person, growth and technique growth on and off the mat like I saw it I saw him just like completely just flourish and you know I, I saw him also go through prior to the black belt like going through some hard times as far as like you know competitions weren't going as well and you know he was stagnant in training and could have been better here and need to improve and then when I remember one year he just literally fixed himself he fixed himself and he didn't need to put he didn't need to didn't need me to push him at all he did it all himself and he ended up like winning a couple of tournaments at Brown Belt, just smoking everybody, subbing people. I was like, Jesus Christ, who's this monster? And I'll never forget, like, right before Worlds, like, we were training together, and he just beat the crap out of me. I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> like, we got a whole new kid here now. So, you know, to 
to see him from his very beginnings of, you know, when he first came on the mat with me to being able to wrap the black belt around him. It was huge. It was huge because, you know, not only is he's my brother's kid, but I also have been raising him for basically these past six years as like my own kid. And, um, you know, I, I always want the best for him to, and, and to see him make that and, and, and get to, and achieve that. And it's, it's huge because in my family, there's only two of us. <laughs> that's a very special thing. That's why I just had to ask that um, because uh, that's, a, that's a very good thing to have in life. Um, Absolutely. So in, in your jiu-jitsu life, you like to help out in jiu-jitsu, right, as far as um, nonprofit organizations. What, what do those mean to you? Uh, and what, what are some of the organizations that you support? Uh, I've been involved with helping disabled vets and helping to uh, uh, promote suicide, uh, suicide awareness for uh, disabled vets. Um, so I've, our academy is certified through the We Defy Foundation, which is also uh, uh, certified through the VA as far as, you know, to provide safe havens for uh, uh, military, uh, U.S. military disabled vets. And I, that's something I became, you know, really, really, uh, I don't know, close with because my dad was a vet my dad was a vet and he you know you you live with somebody who's been through it and you see those challenges that they have even later on in life as far as you know they could you know my dad was god he was in the military like 40 years ago and you could still see that 40 years later it still affected him and you know um when i became involved with the you know we defy and even companies like uh, mission 22 and all these other suicide awareness type uh, uh, deals, uh, it, it just, it, you can't put a price tag on any of that. And if, if I'm able to help one person and help one life as far as, you know, them recognizing their worth and, and wanting to see that there's still more left, then that's all good for me. Um, and then, you know, I've also been very, very much involved with the um, uh, Black Belts for Butterflies uh, organization, which is to help kids with autism and those with special needs. And I, I, that has to be probably my favorite, favorite uh, um, uh, cause that I enjoy helping out with. I've been doing those seminars now for the past five years all over the country, and we even hosted it at Sabre. And, you know, again, it, it, it strikes close to home because, I, you know, I have uh, family members that have, have that had special needs, and, and I, I, I feel for them, and I, and I, can, I can see the struggles. And, and again, if you can help out in any way, um, no matter your belt level, then do so. It's, it, you know, as far as helping humanity, helping your community, helping anybody, even if it's just that next new student in class that's sitting next to you that doesn't understand, you know, that, that can go a long way. Um, I just feel like blessed and honored that within my position, as far as, you know, the things I've done in jujitsu, it's helped me to get on larger platforms to be vocal and help. Uh, at a greater scale so um that to me means more than competing that to me means more than winning any world medals or whatever because you know it's it's much greater than me it's much greater than us as far as you know just jujitsu on the mat and it's it's a more of a worldwide thing yeah i recommend that uh i've been to two black belts for butterflies and that one that that is one heavy weekend uh heavy heart of just yeah. stories you hear and uh man it, uh the two that I went to were great but yeah Rich is doing a great thing with that uh and that's growing oh yeah oh yeah 
Oh, it's huge. It's so huge these days. And, and, and I think he's, he himself, he started it as a purple belt, you know, and, and he even told me, he's like, man, I didn't think I'd get any kind of anything or I didn't think anybody would listen to me because who am I, you know? And it just made uh, all the more sense when people around him were like, hey, dude, you have a voice. You're able to help, help. And he did. And it, it's just taken him to a greater level. Yeah, in the end, we are all just humans, right? Like, obviously, the black belts, uh, we look up to them on the mat. We're all just humans, and if we have a compassionate heart, uh, we're all going to fall in line with that. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I I think these days, and, and it goes with every sport or whatever, you run into those, the superstars or the celebrities of the sport, and that they kind of put themselves above everybody else. And I go, man... I'm I'm nobody special. I'm nobody different. Just because my belt reads different or I've been training longer doesn't mean I'm better than anybody else. And I just see it as, you know, if you have that ability to reach out and help people, then why not try it? And that's something I probably won't ever stop doing. <laughs> just no matter what. I, I, might, I might have to stop competing one day. I might have to stop rolling hard one day. But helping people, I'll never stop doing that. What do you think of the, uh, you know, uh, in jujitsu lately, your, your old school jujitsu, uh, I just started out, but you know, just the, the sport as it's growing, um, you know, there's a lot of social media trash talking going on within the sport. What do you think of that kind of stuff? I think it's, it just makes more attention and, and, and tries to create a bigger draw to it all. What we do as far as jujitsu, it's such a small microcosm of, of a world that the greater world has no idea about, <laughs> you know, like, uh, and that's what's funny. Like you mentioned, I'm old school jujitsu. Yeah, man. I remember those days where, you know, you told people that you did jujitsu, they see your ears and figure out you're, you're a jujitsu guy. And then all of a sudden that, that little moniker of like, oh, you're in the, one of those weird cults. Huh, you just roll around with men. Like I remember those days and like, you know, you're being teased and, and now it's just like, if you're, if you're involved in it, you understand it much more. And I think to get others involved to see what it can do for you on a greater level, it's just, you know, why not help people give it a try? Yeah. It's not just the sport aspect. Um, it, it, the growth of it just, you know, as you mentioned many times, just the growth internally, I always say confidence. Um, it's helped me out the last three years um, with my confidence. And just, you know, you, you stand a little taller uh, knowing that you have big guys smashing you, you have little guys uh, killing you on the mats, um, but you're surviving and it helps yeah, you in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then again, to go back on what you talked about as far as like the trash talking thing, I think the sporting side of it, I think it's. It's, it has its good and it's bad, just like any other sport. You know, you have those guys that want to make names for themselves, and it draws a certain attention, whether it could be good, bad, or indifferent. Um, some people might take to it, some others might not. Being that I've competed so, so many times, I see it as like, eh, have I had people talk crap to me? Absolutely. I've had them say it, you know, trash talk on the mat. I've had them trash talk in the bullpen. I've had them trash talk in the academy. I've had them trash talk online. It's like, and it's it's how you how you uh, 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 how you let it affect you really. So um, these guys these days, especially this newer generation, that you know everybody's got a big mouth. Everybody wants to run that mouth and and be the next big thing or be noticed and be vocal and be heard. 
And it's like, man, if you expend those energies on just that alone, can you imagine what you could else, what else you could be doing with those energies, you know? So, um, in, in my opinion, competing is just a catapult for something greater. Sure. Mm -hmm. It's great to win big titles. It's great to win tournaments and whatnot, but it should excel you to something even greater than jujitsu itself. Now, outside the mat, um, what what other hobbies do you do? I know you you're always posting pictures of your your BMX. Yeah. Uh, I love bikes. I love BMX bikes. I, I grew up riding BMX, you know, as a kid, and I, I stopped like right around middle school just because it, I don't know, wasn't really cool anymore. And then it wasn't until about maybe five six years ago I really got heavily back into it. And then now it's just like God. Every night I'm tinkering tinkering around on the bikes in the garage, messing around. Um, it's just what I love to do. It keeps me keeps me in a hobby that I really love. Um, I love cars. Uh, I've always been a, a, a big fan of, of, of fast cars. So I was building Mustangs for years, broke away from that, and then got into uh, lifting SUVs and, and, you know, having trucks and whatnot. So I love, uh, I'm a car guy. Um, I love my dogs. I have three American bullies and like, those are like my babies. And, you know, we just, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm hanging out with my dogs more than anybody, and, and they, they, they need my time, and I love my time with them. Um, other than that, I gotta, not many people know this, but I'm, like, I'm a big-time archaeological geek. I love, like, looking at, uh, like, old old things, whether it be uh, historical, you know, uh, um, artifacts, um, dinosaur bones, uh I love uh, castles and stuff. I've, 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 you know, looked around and I've been to castles myself. So I'm like a big time into like watching or hunting for castles. Um, I love war history. I love, love, especially like ancient war history. And there's so many ancient wars that you could look up on that have happened that some people don't even realize that happened. And civilizations and cultures that have crossed and, 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 and you know, had war. Obviously war is nothing great, but you see, why they were doing it, what they were doing or trying to accomplish these, you know, civilizations that were just trying to survive and thrive. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, I always look into that kind of stuff, but, uh, I don't know. I, my other, my other big favorite thing too is uh, Bigfoot. I'm a big Bigfoot fan. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, one of these days I'm going to find that guy. <laughs> and, and I, and I think that, uh, before my life is over, I, I think maybe I'll either come across an artifact or something that he left behind, or I'm actually going to see him. <laughs> With all the cloning they do around the world, uh, who knows? One might pop up. Who knows, man? Who knows? <laughs> but you know what? This world, is, this world is so big, and they're still finding uh, uh, the species in the ocean that they still don't know about. So you know, if people, if something don't want to be found, they're gonna they're gonna find a way not to be found. Oh yeah. So you like the the, the, uh, the old school archaeological stuff, artifacts. Do you like uh, older types of books too? I know you mentioned one book that you found on eBay. I remember you posting about it. Um, it was like an older, was it a judo or jujitsu book that you found? Oh, yeah. Um, I've, God, I've, I've read Hagakure, uh, Book of Five Rings, um, all those, uh, um, you know, samurai type train of thought those books are deep, man. That's hard, hard reading. And, um, I, I love researching, you know, uh, old, um, technique type books and stuff that there's so many out there. 
And uh, I've seen some on catch wrestling. I've seen some on judo. I've seen some on wrestling. And wrestling being, especially wrestling itself, is the oldest sport in the world. I mean, others will argue running, but Jesus Christ, you needed to run in order to be in condition for wrestling. So, um, but, you know, and I just see, you know, I'm always looking at a lot of these uh, shows and and YouTube videos and whatever on anything wrestling related as far as, like, from history. And I just came upon, uh, it's fairly new on, on Netflix, there's a, um, a series called Home Team, I believe it is. And um, there's one um, episode on there that focuses on, on the country of India and how wrestling has, has uh, changed that, that culture and that country's lives because of not only the, the, uh, the traditional wrestling that they do in the dirt, and that, to me, that's just, that stuff is awesome. But also, even like the most uh, successful uh, wrestler that the country's had, a female freestyle wrestler, uh, she was a um, Olympic bronze medalist. It's like, man, that's pretty, pretty damn badass. Like, you know, for an entire history of an entire country and civilization, there's one girl that has made made it to the podium of the Olympics. That's pretty awesome. But you know, in in in, I think in every culture, every civilization, there was wrestling. And if you dig deep enough, you'll find it. It's there. Um, even in uh, some, uh, I think I'm, you and I talked before about um, uh, like Hawaiian and Samoan and the Polynesian uh, cultures, like they had their own style of, of what they called bone breaking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those, those guys were basically wrestlers, you know, and they've been doing it a long time too. And, and, you know, you just, if, if you look at like, a, so I think that's probably why I like um, history and ar- ar- archeological type stuff, because, you look at ancient paintings or books or writings, whatever, there's an area at in some point or some uh, uh, a part of that uh, civilization's history that has to deal with either war or sport. And within that, someone was wrestling. So, you know. Yeah, the Indian wrestling, that's a, that's a really tough one. Uh, I've only seen a few matches, but there's a lot of stuff in that area that I like to do with exercising too, you know, with the gata um, how how, mm-hmm. how they get so strong with just a few implements and yet like over here in yeah. America we think we need like this big fancy gym when these guys are doing yeah. wrestling on dirt <laughs> and they only have like a few implements and they're getting strong huge um, it's always um, oh yeah it's always interesting to see uh, other cultures and how how they succeed and when we're having our silver spoon fed to us in America yeah, and that's what's funny is like just like you said, um, some of these guys that have been around these days and that are devising all these, oh, this program was going to work, or this try this uh, type of training or whatever. Like, God, man, the 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 longest wrestling match in in recorded history is at the 1912 Summer Olympics. It lasted 11 hours. <laughs> One wrestling match lasted 11 hours. So can you imagine that level of conditioning that these guys had? Obviously, there, weren't, there wasn't really a time limit back then, but like to go on, I mean, you and I, we've rolled. We've rolled you know, for 10-minute rounds. We've, we've been in training, but like, we see how spent we are in like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, maybe an hour. You six, six 10-minute rounds. Can you imagine doing 11 hours of one match with one guy? Like, that's insane. The, and, and in 1912, I can't imagine they had too many fancy gyms going around or any kind of high-level 
supplementation or nutrition. Those guys just grinded. <laughs> yeah, definitely different times because they were, uh, you know, they don't, they didn't have what we have today for distractions, right? That's exactly. all they, I don't know about you, but you may be, you could go an hour, but you know, me and you rolling, it was like rolling for 30 seconds and you on top of me, smashing me for <laughs> nine, nine and a half minutes. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I'm growing. It's all growth. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, uh, so what's one, what's one book that uh, you could recommend to the listeners? As far as anything? Uh, any book. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be with grappling. Something that's like that you, you'd like to go back to or something that, that motivated you to keep pushing. I remember, uh, and he obviously one of the more controversial guys, but um, one of my favorite books was uh, a Lance, Ar- Lance Armstrong book. But it was basically um, him going through those highs and lows. And whether you, uh, um, but whether you like him or not, or, or see him as you know a cheater or whatever it might, that guy's level of worth ethic, worth work ethic and mindset is unparalleled. Like, you know, you you can take all the drugs you want in the world, but that doesn't mean you're going to be the best fighter. It doesn't mean you're going to be the best athlete. It doesn't mean you're going to be the strongest. It doesn't mean you're going to be the fastest. It doesn't mean you're going to be the best. Period. So that, that guy's level of not only making it through to win the Tour de France and those, those races that he won, those world championships, but to fight through cancer on more than one occasion. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's a whole other level of, 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 uh, of, uh, of not, not just confidence, but that mindset that can carry you through a life and death situation. That's, that's huge. It's huge. And, um, you know, so to me, uh, that was definitely one of my favorite books. That's awesome. Um, and to, to wrap it up, last two questions uh, for you. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take too much of your time, but um, you got any future plans or goals uh, ahead of you that you can share? Uh, well, you know, I, we're just getting back open, and it, it's so great to see the, the level of um, positivity and um, just – the morale you can see has lifted everybody so much to the point where it's just like, wow, we all needed this, you know? And so as we transition back into what we can hopefully be um, uh, normalcy once again, obviously with some constraints, but jujitsu is is a therapy that is again, unparalleled as well. Like what we do on the mats together, where whether you suck or you're like the best, it's, it's for everybody that needs it. And I just see it as, as long as we can keep going forward, all the things that we've accomplished as a team, be it championships, be it promotions, be it just, you know, the summer barbecues that we do, it's just getting back together as a family. And to me, that was the most important part. And, you know, it was a long grinding three months, but I felt like we had to fight and survive together just to get that family back. And uh, moving forward, I, I want to do bigger and better things. I want to help people even more. I want to give back even more. I want to be less selfish and, and more selfless. 
And at the same time, you know, how can I make you guys better? How can I make the program better? And, you know, and, and just explore all those things. And so it's kind of like a refreshing feeling all over again. Like when we first opened, like, God, I had this whole palette. What am I going to do with it? And here I am again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a, a whole new palette, but I have a set uh, uh, idea of what I like and what I don't like. Let me see if I can make that, you know, original piece even better without tweaking it too much. But Overall, I just see it as an individual. Uh, I wouldn't mind winning worlds again one more time. <laughs> um, and uh, as a teacher, to have you guys continue to get better and, and you know beat the crap out of me, and that, those are my goals. And on, on a business level, hopefully, get to a point where you know I'm already living my dream. I guess you could say you know I, this is what I do for a living, but it's no easy no easy task. You know I, I have I have good. Uh, uh, helpers along the way but i you know i man the ship the best they can so i'd like to see you know our guys in the future whether they start their own academies and we build keep building this team to even bigger but just it's all about being a better sense of ourselves and you know seeing our students do that yeah and i'm gonna add this uh on in my perspective and probably a lot of other people you heard this from but you've built a a solid foundation and community in saber uh the vibe is unlike any other place where everybody feels welcome at saber a lot of gyms can say that but uh, i think truly like at at this academy and what you've built is um shows what you're all about thank you man i really appreciate that really means a lot and you know i that's all my goal is. I, I, you know, I, I see it as I'm not the best at jujitsu. My last name's not Gracie. I'm not Brazilian, you know, and I'm not, I'm not the the young guy or anything or the the hottest name on the scene. But I can teach you the armbar all the same. I can teach you how to keep yourself uh, from harm, and I can uh, help you find a better sense of yourself through what I'm good at. So. Finally, uh, since this is Leave It to Seavers, what can you leave the guests in your life that keeps you moving forward or driving forward a, a piece of advice that you can give everybody? Don't think of it as dreams. Whatever you have for yourself, maybe it might start as one, but turn that dream into a plan and execute that plan. And when you start seeing it as a plan, then it becomes more tangible and as you start to see things come to fruition and know that you're, you're capable of doing those things and making it happen, then it's a lot more easier to attain. In our dreams, we think of dreams as stuff we see in our sleep, stuff we see in, you know, oh, I wish I could have that one day. You know, my whole goal leading up to where I'm at today is I'm going to have that. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to make that. So either way, um, Expect more from yourself, and and whether it be on or off the mat, try your hardest, ask questions, uh, and keep your nose down and, and your eyeballs forward, and, and keep grinding. Thank you, man. That's uh, that's some good advice. I enjoyed this conversation a lot. Uh, it was great to sit down with you and uh, finally get to know uh, you a little bit better, and all the listeners can get to know you a little bit better as well. Uh, I appreciate Thank you. you yeah, I appreciate you uh, hopping on here for an hour and a half. It was it was a good conversation. <laughs> I loved it. Well, dude, again, I was honored, and thank you so much for having me. And uh, I'm always down to help out in any any way I can in the future. If you ever need anything, I'm here. Thank you, Coach. Hi, right, brother. Have a great day. All right, you too.